You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Timeform, the trusted source of racing data and analysis, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Racing App, in partnership with FitzDares. Good morning, welcome to the show. Bright and early this morning, Monday the 26th of February. Weather's taking a turn for the worse. I see as I return home to TW11, big day for the sport. If you think we've had Monday the 26th of February marked out for a long time, you're right, because this is the day of the parliamentary debate on the Gambling Act and affordability checks. Uh, This is also the day that should have been most notable because it is the judging day and the awards dinner for the Godolphin Thoroughbred Industry Employee Awards, of which you know I'm the chair of the judges, and it's a very special day uh, for the sport and for the industry as a whole. And if you want to watch it, if you know somebody who is nominated or you just want to see racing's workforce uh, honoured in the way they should be, you can watch it live, uh, streamed from 6.50 this evening, Monday evening, on www.thoroughbredawards.co.uk. That's www.thoroughbredawards.co.uk. There is not uh, something you can watch anywhere on any screen that will warm your heart like this will. Let's hope that events in Parliament today give us some cheer as well. Lee Mottishead is the senior writer from the Racing Post. Lee, before we dive into what we can expect in Parliament today, where you will be, uh, let's dive into your terrific scoop in the Racing Post that was published today. If you were online, you would have heard it last night in response to the debate over the, the danger of the black market. Just tell us what you uncovered. Yes, Nick. Thanks. Good morning. Um, So we um, unearthed information about um, basically a black market illegal bookmaker called The Post Bookmakers. Anyone who read uh, a piece we did in the middle of last week uh, looking at the black market in horse racing will know that horse racing is leaking money to the black market uh, for a number of reasons. Bookmaker account restrictions are certainly one of them and have been for some time, but now affordability checks are another reason why people are moving from the regulated market to the black market. And the black market can come in a number of different guises. One that has been widely reported um, are offshore unlicensed firms who shouldn't be accepting uh, customers outside their licensed environments who take customers from from Britain. And another form, Nick, are WhatsApp bookmakers who have become increasingly uh, prolific uh, in the betting environment. These are firms that accept bets via WhatsApp. Um, They pay out as normal bookmakers would do, uh, generally speaking anyway. Um, And they are, however, unlicensed. They are unregulated. They pay nothing to horse racing. They pay nothing to the exchequer. And of course, they do not offer the same customer protection that is afforded to those or should be afforded to those who bet in the regulated environment. We found details of one unregulated black market WhatsApp bookmaker called the Post Bookmakers. Um, and in many ways, Nick, it, it, it wasn't that hard to find out about them. They are or they have become Uh, increasingly prevalent uh, in recent months and there has been a flyer advertisement going around 
for them that says the post bookmakers are a well-established bookmakers making betting simple for our value customers on that flyer that we uh saw nick was the name of a gentleman called hayden simcock who it said was the firm's commercial manager it had a mobile number for mr simcock on the on the flyer as well um a bit of digging shows i mean it's Mr. it's it's pretty brazen this isn't it it's, well it's incredibly brazen given, given this is completely illegal and you know, there are plenty of people within the sport and the industry who are very concerned about the black market yeah. it's it is remarkably brazen I, i'm minded lee just before you tell us yes, how you yes. how you stung um mr simcock of of andrew rhodes's quotes um, as reported by your very own industry editor Bill Barber back on the on the fifth of September, uh, September when Rhodes said, talking to a lot of people around the industry and in the uh, Great Britain market, actually the size of the black market is very small, but estimates do vary. Every time I've heard someone say to me, based on what's happening here, people are going to the black market. I've asked them the same question: tell me where, and I've not once had an answer. I've not once been given the name of an operator or personal location or anything I can act upon, and I've consistently asked that question. Every time. That was Andrew Rhodes, um, ladies and gents, the Chief Executive of the Gambling Commission, as recently as September. Absolutely right. And of course, Nick, you only find things if you look for them. You won't find many polar bears if you look in Barbados. But if you look in the right places, it isn't hard to find this sort of organisation. And as you say, Nick, the remarkable thing about the post bookmakers and about Hayden Simcock was their brazen approach. Mr Simcock isn't using an alias um, in his advertisement. Uh, he is who he says he is. He is a gentleman called Hayden Simcock, a Stoke-based uh, man. And a little bit of digging showed that Mr Simcock has close connections to horse racing. He is a registered owner with the BHA. He has had five horses, four in the name of Dark Horse Partnership, a syndicate that he fronted, and one in his own name. Uh, through uh, Dark Horse, he's had five uh, winners uh, from 50 runners. Uh, he says he works in horse racing as a syndicate manager, so he's closely involved in the sport. Uh, we obviously wanted to find out more about the post bookmakers, particularly, as you say, Nick, because we have this debate in the uh, in the grand committee room of Westminster Hall today. Um, I did what... Um, is it is the normal uh, approach of an undercover uh, reporter i got myself another phone i rang uh, mr simcock purporting to be somebody else a gentleman called sam clark that just came to me uh, the top can, of my head don't know why can, can i just stop you here go I, on Nick. go on go on, <laughs> go on. You didn't disguise your voice that well, well and it's no, not no, like you're completely unknown no, no, I have to say, yes. So initially, I did have a conversation with my other half, and we did speak about whether I should put on an accent. And if I do say you to myself... You, my, you, didn't my little... say to, you, didn't, you didn't put Paul up to the job then? You didn't, no, no, you no, didn't, no, you no didn't I didn't. You didn't suggest doing that? No, I didn't, no, no, nor did he volunteer, to be fair. Right. We, we did discuss whether I could go with Liverpudlian, um, because I, I don't do a, a bad Liverpudlian accent, but my fear was, could I make it last for the duration of a call? In the end, I thought, I'll just accentuate my inner northernness, um, which I tried, but I quickly realised it wasn't going to last. So I continued as I was. Um, a colleague on the pod, David Yates, did observe to me last night, 
line that apparently I, I say in the call, bless you, bless you twice, which is something I say quite a lot. So that, that might have given me away, but thankfully it didn't. And Mr. Simcock was a very willing recipient. All right, well, let's have a listen to how it started with Lee's brilliantly and cunningly disguised uh, voice here. Hello? Hello, Sam? Yes, hello. Hello. Hayden. Hello, how are you? Post. Hello, how are you? Yeah, I'm good yourself. Yeah, good, thank you, good. Thanks for ringing back. Yeah, no worries, buddy, no worries. Um, always here. Um, Probably got a bit, bit of time now, then I'm going to be busy for the day, so... Uh, okay, yeah, man, bless you, bless you. Yeah, I, 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 basically, um, it just... I, I, I want to sort of know how it works, just so that... Cause obviously, I've only ever used sort of online bookies, racecourse bookies. Um, yeah. And, like, if I wanted to bet with you, um, say I want yeah. to bat long press in the Gold Cup, and I'm looking on odds checker, yeah. whatever, how do I know what I'm going to get with you guys? Okay, so I'll give you a bit of a spiel. Um, so the post bookmakers, uh, we everything's done through WhatsApp. Um, it's run by um, a guy called David. He runs the business, it's his business, right. and then then there's so there's a phone number for him. Um, then there's me as commercial manager. There's a phone number for me. Um, on WhatsApp business, uh, and then there's a team of people who take your bets, and they're all behind another number. So essentially, there's three numbers, um, but the team, uh, there's five or six people behind that number who will take your bets. And so it continues. Lee Motter said there with Hayden Simcock. Right, Lee, what are the key points here? How does it all work, and what are the key takeaways? Power. He said that the way the business worked was that customers, and I believe this is the way that most WhatsApp businesses operate in terms of taking bets, is that you go on one of those four bookmaker websites that's offering the best price of the horse you want to back. You look as you you act as if you are going to place a bet on that website by finding the odds and putting in the, the stake against the horse's name, and then you take a screenshot of that which you send on one of the number of numbers that the post bookmakers uh, were using to take bets. He uh, explained that they have currently a match deposit offer for new customers. So he said to me, let's just say you're putting in £2,000. We double it. So you've got £4,000 to bet with. You have a 2000 cash balance and a 2000 free bet balance. He then explained that like most bookmakers, particularly regulated bookmakers, um, the Post expects to get, he said, ridiculously busy through Cheltenham. We're putting messages out shortly, shortly, just so you make sure that you're loaded up with your accounts ready for Cheltenham. Um, then, Nick, I um, again, I, I, I don't have your um, your acting skills, but I, but I did try to play the, the innocent and, and asked, would I be in any trouble by using the post? And how on earth could the post afford to provide these these great offers? And he said, listen, we can afford to do it. That's why we do it. A lot of our customers at the moment are owners and trainers and racing managers within horse racing ultimately because everyone is struggling to get on and people don't want to provide bank statements and affordability checks he explained that he'd been a customer himself of the post before being offered a job uh, he'd had that job for eight months and he explained the business he said now have uh, 1300 customers and we don't really want to go any further than 1500 just wow. because of our infrastructure i said to him um you know, would, would my identity be safe? He said, you get your bets on and you get paid. Nobody will know that you're betting with us. And he went on to explain, I'm in the racing industry. I've run a syndicate for the past five years and had horses in Newmarket and this, that 
and the other. So we had a very clear description of how the the post bookmakers works. Uh, I then rang Mr. Simcock again on Thursday, uh, this time on my normal phone and using the phone for Mr. Simcock that was easily accessible via using the Dark Horse Partnership Facebook page. So again, no attempt to hide his identity, uh, to make it hard for him to be discovered in any sense whatsoever. And during that conversation, um, again, he said, oh, he, this time he, wait, he, no, did he, no point did he try to uh, deny a connection uh, to the post bookmakers, nor that it was an unregulated, unlicensed operation. But he said, you need to speak to the owner of the business because I'm just a friend of the owner uh, i pointed out to him that when we'd spoken he said he was the commercial manager of the the post he said technically no like i say you'd be better speaking to the owner he said i don't work directly for the business uh, you need to speak to david uh, he had said actually then that he would get david the owner to contact me perhaps not surprisingly that didn't happen um there was um therefore a, a uh, a clear link between Mr. Simcock and the Post bookmakers, which we uh, revealed in the Racing Post last night and in today's edition. Uh, the BHA uh, commented in response to the story and highlighted that they said we would not tolerate anyone who is found to be acting as an illegal betting operator being licensed or registered to take part in our sport. Should any such individual be identified, we would look to investigate and take the appropriate action as well as working with authorities such as the Gambling Commission you have responsibility for regulation of the gambling industry and a gambling commission. Nick uh, spokesperson said, we don't comment on specific cases, but we always investigate allegations of unlicensed gambling. There was one suggestion from someone on social media yesterday uh, in response to our stories that they'd already already alerted the gambling commission in the past to the post bookmakers. So we'll be inquiring on that front uh, today as well. And obviously all the material will be laid before the Gambling Commission and or it has been with the BHA. Well, I look forward to the Gambling Commission's comment on this, particularly um, Andrew Rhodes, but I, I won't I won't hold my breath. Lee, that's uh, tr terrific work. And obviously, if, if you want to hear that uh, full scoop, you can do so on racingpost.com, I'm guessing. You can. Yeah, that's all there, Nick. We've got the tech recordings of the uh, two phone calls and um, the story in detail. Right. What can we expect in Parliament today? Do you think how many? First of all, how many MPs do you think are going to show up? I keep hearing different things, Nick, because it's not a huge room, the Grand Committee room uh, in Westminster Hall. Um, people have said to me as a journalist, oh, yeah, you'll have no trouble uh, getting in because not many will be there. Other people think it'll be pretty busy. I'm not sure it will be that busy, Nick. There's lots going on in the world of British politics at the moment, as anyone who's watching the news will know last week. I'm hoping that a significant number of MPs attend. There's certainly been no uh, lack of effort to get MPs to attend um, the Racing Post and uh, other racing organisations and racing fans have been contacting their MPs, asking them to attend. The proof of the pudding will be in the eating. Um, but I think it's an important day, and it just because these government plans to formalise the introduction of affordability checks, although they are going through uh, this, 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 this piece of uh, gambling legislation, they don't actually require uh, affordability checks, any sort of primary, primary legislation. They don't require uh, votes in the, in the chamber. Um, 
there there aren't the normal uh, stopping points, defining points that you would get with with this sort of thing. Um, all that the government really seems to be waiting to happen is to have a what it believes to be a functioning system of frictionless checks for the enhanced checks that come with affordability checks that the Gambling Commission last week said would be now trialled uh, over the uh, coming uh, coming months. Um, so it is important, Nick, I think, as a chance for the government who will be represented in the debate to hear the views of parliamentarians, uh, the views through parliamentarians of people who bet on horse racing and of horse racing itself. Uh, the 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 evidence is is already extremely clear, all too horribly clear, of how much money this is uh, costing um, horse racing. Uh, Tom Kerr, in a comment piece, our editor in the Racing Post today, highlighted that the latest gambling commission stats show that nine hundred million pounds less was bet on horse racing with regulated online bookmakers in 2022-2023 than in the prior year. And that was only up to March last year since then, since when things have been heightened. Um, there already have been some big hitters in the politics world who have come out and voiced their opposition to affordability checks. The latest today was uh, the former Chancellor of the Exchequer, Nadim Zahawi, who spoke to, to Tom and said that he believes that we face an existential threat to, to horse racing and he outlined in clear terms why he believes affordability checks will be damaging or are damaging to horse racing but also why he and others do not believe that they will succeed in what ostensibly is their aim to help those who have gambling problems and John Gosden was very uh, elegant in the way he laid that out in a Racing Post comment piece yeah. on Saturday. Um, he was, so that, did, were you surprised he went for the turnover-based levy argument again, given the fact that most most of the sports senior administrators seem to have walked about as far away from that as you can possibly walk? It is interesting. And I think they have they have walked in that direction for pragmatic reasons in the sense that fewer people now seem to be betting or are betting on horse racing and therefore a turnover model is not as attractive. But I think... That debate and this debate has both pragmatic and principled arguments uh, supporting people's cases. The pragmatic case for a turnover levy model has clearly weakened. Yeah, because the turnovers, the turnovers, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, less people. Betting. But, the, but principle... I mean, the the ideological case for it's pretty straightforward. Is that you well? That's it. Yes, you, and you the, don't the, want to. You don't want a model that is absolutely predicated on people losing. That's right. The, the, the current levy model is predicated on people losing and the best horses losing. British racing does best when its customers do worst. That can't be a good thing. And John was highlighting the principal model and, and with affordability checks too, Nick. There is the the the, the pragmatic, the clear case that these 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 uh, checks are damaging racing financially. But there is also the principled argument that can easily get lost. In the, even if you have a frictionless system, if some way can be found that a properly effective frictionless system works for these checks, there is still the principle that why on earth should the state, um, via a regulator, tell people how they can spend their own money? That in itself 
is such a powerful argument. We've said all along, Nick, you said, we've said, everyone has said that you can go down your local off-license and buy as many bottles of wine mm. or beer as you want. Um, you can go out if you want, Nick, and you can buy an expensive racehorse and then be told that you can't have a bet on that horse because you don't make the affordability checks. The yeah. principles yeah. Yeah, behind this are let's so say- wrong. Let's face it, we've seen enough times in the last few weeks that if, even if you've got the wherewithal to buy an expensive racehorse, you know, we'd do quite well to to check where where the wherewithal came from. Yeah, absolutely. That as well, Nick. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I think that there, there are pragmatic reasons, there are principal reasons why these checks are wrong. I hope those are expressed powerfully in Westminster Hall later on today. And I hope, regardless of what happens in the debate, that the government does start to really listen to what people are saying, people who know what they're uh, talking about, who have uh, the the best interests of British racing at heart, but also I think people have the best interests of that community of people, that group of people who these checks are supposed to help, but quite clearly they won't. And one reason why they won't is the rise of the black market that we've been highlighting in recent days. Well, if you listened to my Sunday programme yesterday on Racing TV, you'll have heard me interviewing Peter Saville, And if you listen to this podcast on Friday, you'll have heard me talking to Sam Hoskins, syndicate manager, who is broadly in support of Peter Saville's uh, method of bringing revenue uh, to horsemen via agreed uh, prize money arrangements with racecourses. And Peter's contention, fundamentally, uh, to boil it down to its bare essentials, is that each racecourse should be mandated to give, and his figure is 33.3% of their revenue, over to prize money contributions. Now, trainer Stuart Williams um, has been broadly supportive of measures such as this, uh, whilst some of his senior training colleagues have not really wanted to be signatories to to Peter Savile's uh, proposal. And the NTF, uh, of which Stuart has been a past president, um, has been reluctant to, to ratify them officially, saying that they are seeking their own way of coming up with commercial agreements with racecourses. So Stuart's with me now. Stuart, you, you, you've seen this from both sides. You've been an integral part of the NTF, but you seem broadly supportive of what Peter's trying to do. How do you think the situation's going to resolve itself or, or reach some sort of conclusion? Well, I'm hopeful we come to a consensus and everybody gets on board. I think that's the best uh, way forwards and um you know i think it's a good plan if 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 the race courses and the horse people are on the same side pushing for more revenue for racing however we get it i think it's good for the industry and um, what do you think of of peter's methods what do you think of of the way that he's he's putting it forward do you think it's workable from your experience within within racing's political firmament well, it's already always very complicated uh, at a political level when when you're dealing with so many different parties with different views. It's one of the one of the um, problems we've had in the horsemen's group is that there's five different participant groups, and we can't always agree on um, the best way forwards. But I think a, a plan where the racecourses and the participants are aligned in the same direction has eventually it's got to be good for everyone why do you think the present thoroughbred group under the stewardship of julian richmond watson is sort of reluctant really to go full scale behind peter and you know somebody who you would have thought would have been 
you're quite aligned with his viewpoint. Somebody like Rafe Beckett, for example, I know who you you've got on very well with politically, is is a little reluctant. Well, I I think that the there's been a change at the um, at the uh, at the Horseman's group, uh, the thoroughbred group, as it's now called, and I think they were trying to do something slightly different. So, you know, it's um, it's not easy for them to all of a sudden jump ship from what they were planning to do. Now, I'm not party to what they're planning to do. I'm not a part of the uh, NTF structure at, at the moment. We're, I'm just a, a normal member, so I can't say exactly what they were planning. But um, but like I said, they did have a plan, or they do have a plan, and I'm not sure it's exactly the same as Peter's plan. So, you know, eventually, hopefully, we can all get together on the same side and um, and, and go from there. Yeah, I mean, the point I put to Peter Saville on Sunday morning was that I wondered whether he was quite useful for the, the thoroughbred group, even if there wasn't a, a broad body of support from within it for him, though he, he disputes that, um, because he was a, a sufficiently robust and outspoken disruptor that it would you know allow them to get on with what they want to do and you know, he was there just pushing and pushing and pushing in the background yeah i mean i think to be honest we're all just trying to do our best to um to, to get a better deal for for racing going forwards uh, i think that's peter's ideal is um is to do that i'm not sure he's bothered who actually takes it up um but he's obviously he has been in the position of the corridors of power in racing and know how how the um, intricacies of that works and he's in a in a strong position to uh, give us a good steer on it and and how big a percentage of your colleagues and members of the NTF do you think are supportive of exactly what he's proposing um <clears throat> i'm not sure uh, i think on the whole a lot of the people who are not involved at the NTF higher level um, would be in favour of Peter's plan. But I've got no evidence of how many people that would be. That's Stuart Williams, who's been very active politically as far as trainers go. Uh, he is one of, I'm told, up to 170 is the number that I've been told, trainers who have, you know, uh, either explicitly or or tacitly signed up to Peter Savile's proposals, but he hasn't got the support of the uh, NTF explicitly, even if they're they're moving closer together in terms of their their aims. And you wonder to what end his his work is, Lee. Yeah, I think that that's that's a fair question, Nick. You know, in, in terms of what is the the absolute. Um, end game and desired outcome of all this we, we all we all know that we would like to live in a uh, in a in a perfect world in a in a perfect racing world where all participants were awarded in the way that they should and all race courses make bumper healthy profits so they can reinvest in surprise money in great facilities that that's not the world that we live in we live in the racing business model world that we do we know that other jurisdictions have models far different to our own that enable participants to be rewarded in a way that doesn't happen over here but you you, you do wonder where this is heading towards what i what i would say is that i think if the 
participants, uh, those who are feeling strongly about this, want to be successful in their aim, they need to uh, present a united front. And I think if what the the Savile Army are doing is seen as a splinter group, if you like, from the recognised trade associations, that won't help their cause in any way. Well, as you'll know, I was in Riyadh uh, over the weekend for the 2024 running of the Saudi Cup, and it threw up some extraordinary results, really, and results that you might not necessarily have expected on the major international stage. And there were, was no one who begrudged the success of Senor Buscador in the $20 million feature. The world's richest horse race, and by some way, going the way of an owner who had been investing in breeding horses for four or five equine generations. This was the final horse that he'd bred with his late father. He had stayed entirely loyal to trainer Todd Fincher, not exactly a celebrity, but a very, very good trainer, who trains out of New Mexico. Again, not one of the you know, largest recognized uh, jurisdictions in the in the US, and they head and, and they conquer. And that just a few weeks after the horse had run his eyeballs out in the Pegasus World Cup at Gulfstream Park to finish a fast finishing second on a speed favouring track to National Treasure, who finished a very respectable fourth on Saturday. Um, between the pair were Ushba Tesoro, one of Japan's best dirt travellers, and in, in third place was a, a very good run from the aptly named Saudi Crown, who did best of those from On the Pace for Brad Cox and Florence Roux, who you heard from on the podcast last week. But it was a wonderful performance. And uh, Joey Peacock, owner-breeder, uh, Todd Fincher, the trainer, Junior Alvarado, who's been so closely associated with the amazing Cody's Wish story, the heart was warmed once again. Uh, elsewhere, uh, Richard Fahey, Sir Alex Ferguson, Jed Mason, Peter Doan, Asheen Orr all teamed up for victory with Spirit Dancer in the hugely valuable Neom Turf Cup. So several million dollars going their way. That, of course, on the same day that Messrs Mason, Doan and Ferguson had tasted success with Calif de Berlay in the Adonis Juvenile Hurdle at Kempton Park. So quite an interesting cross-continental double for them. And uh, Anaf winning for, for, for Mick Appleby. And... I know that that Lee Motter said was was a result that uh, you were pretty taken with under a sensational uh, rail hugging ride by Ross Ryan, who uh, his his share price soars all the time, as does Mick Appleby's. Nick, you were out in California for the Breeders' Cup. Mick had a a great time there. He had a big night in Saudi Arabia. Um, on Saturday with an AF. Again, another horse who in relative terms cost peanuts composed to, compared to most horses competing in that sort of race. And of course, it won't have been uh, lost on uh, anybody, I wouldn't have thought, that uh, it was an openly gay man taking a big wedge of uh, Saudi cash. Well, as Lee said there, it was a dreamy ride from Ross Orion, uh, describing Ross's share prices as going through the roof. Um, and indeed, the share price of Anaf, who was bought for sixteen grand and won nine hundred and forty-five thousand sterling at one point two million dollars for his owners, who looked completely shell shocked after the race. I've got to say, Ross Iran, I thought by your normal, fairly cool standards, you look quite shell shocked as well. Did it come as a bit of a surprise to you, or not really? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't, uh, I wasn't sure that we'd be going to Saudi and going back with a winner. 
I didn't think uh, there was a lot of horses in the race that were improving the same sort of way we were, but maybe just at a quicker rate. And um, to get the run I got and for it to all come off, I wasn't, uh, I was kind of pinching myself, really. I mean, you, you've ridden some really good horses, but how much how much fun is riding this horse? Because he has to do it a certain way. He's class because there's never any pressure. Um, he he drops in and you just ride him for luck nearly all the time. And you know, they're the owner Ed is very very understanding. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And lo and behold, two out. I gave him a, I gave him a slap down the shoulder and he comes alive underneath you. And he was. He was electric last day. He must have a great constitution because I'm guessing that there are some horses that if they're boxed in, in a pocket, getting intimidated, they just back out of it. No, he he, he would literally go through a brick wall for you. Um, but as soon as he gets there, then that's kind of him. He's like, oh, I've done enough now. I've, I've got to the front for you. That's enough. So that's down on my behalf. But he would literally go through a brick wall because it was it was tight without being concerningly tight but he was tough and no bother on him to go through it he just let me point him at it and away he went have you had any further reflections on it since you've watched the tape back we were watching and kept just screaming anaf 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 look how easily he's going um do you quite realize the level of your superiority yeah, I, I, I'm still debating what sort of trip the horse wants. To be quite honest with you, um, because of the last day he got the rate the the trip so well. But um, look, it was very evident last year that he improved um, so much as the year went on. And I mean, to go to a Portland never winning on the grass and to win on bottomless ground, and then back it up in a Group Three. Um, in Ascot was very good and then to completely turn the whole thing upside down and go to Saudi on rattling fast ground and win there too it, it's like I, I, I'm kind of it was Mick the other day said it, it doesn't it doesn't matter what ground it is once he's a good gallop to run at he's happy um, and he bought 13 runs last year and Every run he kept improving somewhere or another and I keep referring back to the Haydock sprint when Ali Rowlandson rode him and he, he wasn't actually that far away and he got denied the clear a full clear run at him and um he improved after that again and you know, it was funny when I was out there and you know, everyone was delighted, but when you spoke to people, you know, everyone forgot he was third in a king stand behind Bradsell and Highfield Princess so you know if you, if you go back to that alone did he have to improve loads it was just a trip mm. and I'm presuming that that the Jubilee and everything else is on his is on his dance card for this year I would imagine so I would leave it to Mick um, I think they're still on, on the debate whether to go to Japan or Dubai with him at the minute so I just go where I'm told and just leave it at that. 
Right. Any any further exciting Ross Orion developments that we should know about for this season, given that Lee said your your share price is on the up? Um I I think of the winter horses that just you know, this lad Anaf came out at the winter stage. I think um there was a horse that won two week a week ago for Clive Cox. I think he could be a very nice horse as time goes on. Mm-hmm. Um a horse called Cracking Gold. Um I think as the year goes on he he, he's, he was impressive in his two maid in his maiden and his novice. And I know Clive holds him in very high regard. I, I could see him progressing. He still looks a big baby, but I think as the year goes on, he'll fill into a, a, a smashing horse. Ross Orion there turning base metal into gold in the desert. Yeah, some really good racing um, in Riyadh over the weekend. Um, and I've enjoyed it very much, but I am very pleased to be back on Home Soil, pleased to be at the Godolphin Thoroughbred Industry and Employee Awards today. Uh, we ought to just have a, a quick word on what happened domestically over the weekend, Lee, because really the proximity to Cheltenham means that it is actually a chance for other people to get a piece of the action and get some and get some serious cash, which Corals were putting up for the card at Kempton on, on Saturday, which people seem to have missed, really. I mean, if you've got a horse worth its salt and who, who is a handicapper and not a championship horse, they should have been running in that in that race, in that oh. three-mile chase that was that was won by forward plan. Nick, why, why, why? You know, 12 declared runners uh, for a 150 grand handicap chase. Races do go in and out of fashion. And, and when we were young racing fans, the racing post chase, as it then was, was a very big deal. The race has been in decline in terms of uh, profile uh, for some time. But Coral, to their credit, have pumped money into it. It's now a 150 grand race. It is vastly more valuable than the handicaps at the Cheltenham Festival, as great as they are. The Ultima handicap chase, which is the nearest equivalent, won't be worth anything like as much money as this, but it will get a bigger and better feel, which in many ways is a shame. But hurrah for Anthony Honeyball and Ben Godfrey uh, and the Steeplechaser Syndicate, who had their biggest wins with Forward Plan, who finished uh, like the proverbial clappers uh, to win the Coral Trophy. Not often you see horses finish that fast at Kempton, but he surged through to win that race. It was a highlight of a card that that had some good performances on it, Nick, um, but not really any, I don't think, that will impact this season's, this year's no. Cheltenham Festival. If there was a performance over the weekend on the jumps from that could have uh, that sort of impact, it would be in relation to the Grand National and it was the Bobby Joe Chase yeah. at Fairy House. With I am Maximus extremely impressive in winning, albeit while still leaving some questions as to his suitability for the Grand National. Well, if you thought Senor Buscador was the toughest horse in training, you might think again, having seen yesterday's... Um, race in in Tin. this was the 2024 running of the city hong kong gold cup group one and it was won by an absolute belter of an animal um romantic warrior he had won the cox plate in mooney valley uh, he'd come back and beaten luxembourg at Tin in the hong kong cup his second victory in that race and he's got some some big targets ahead as well he he's such an easy horse to warm to. He's so tough every time he delivers under James McDonald, and Danny Shum is his trainer. And I've been speaking to Danny. I asked him just how much he loves this horse. Oh, I love the horse very very much. 
like my son. He's like your son. Yes. Tell tell me tell me why tell me why he's he's been so special for you and what what sets him apart. Oh, he's quiet and he got a big heart and he got a good a good engine, you know. For him to do what he did and to go to Australia and, and win the Cox Plate there, what did that mean for for everybody in Hong Kong for Hong Kong racing for you for the owner? Oh, it's, it's a it's a glory actually for uh, Hong Kong as a local trainer. Um, you know, Hong Kong China, uh, local trainer in Hong Kong. It's really a big, big, big glory to to win the cosplay in Australia. Yes. Mm. And then people were saying, "Well, he's had a hard race. He's travelled. He's really had to dig deep to beat some of the hardest knocking horses around in Australia. Surely he won't go back to Hong Kong and back that up." Well, that that's exactly what he did when he when he won his his second uh, huge race on on Hong Kong International Day. Um, just tell me a little bit about uh, about, about this horse's constitution. Uh, this is very good. Um, actually, yeah, he had a big, big challenge uh, when, he, when, he go, when he went to the, uh, Australia. Uh, he stayed in the very before for the quarantine and I can't move it to any other better facilities uh, race court because... Uh, if I move it to Fermenton or to anywhere, then I have to, after the cosplay, I have to move him back to Werribee for three weeks quarantine. So, Romantic Warriors stay in the Werribee quarantine for the whole time in Australia. It's not easy, you know, and he had a three times uh, CT scan, and when he had a heart race, a really, really strong heart race, uh, so when he back to Hong Kong, he has also had a quarantine two weeks in the Hong Kong quarantine. So the horse is tough. The horse is talent. Yes. Otherwise, he must be a champion. Otherwise, he cannot be be, be handled those, those a lot of difficulties. Yes. I mean, he won the the Cox Plate by a short head. He came back and he he won at the Hong Kong International Meeting, the Hong Kong Cup, his second Hong Kong Cup, by a short head from Luxembourg, who made him pull out all the stops. And then he won beating Voyage Bubble by a neck in the Hong Kong Gold Cup the other day. He just pulls out more and more. How important do you think James McDonald has been to him? James loved him a lot also. He told the media he he loved this horse the most. in his life career at this stage so we all know we all we all love him you know he's quiet he, he listen and he, he do what you want to do you know he's a big champion yeah a big champion and james is six from seven on this horse as well uh, across across two continents where are we going to see this wonderful horse next um he's going to aim, aim to race him in a q2 cup and then if everything goes smooth, he will go to the Japan on June for the uh, Yoshida Kinan the race. Okay, so that that would be an, another another feather in his cap, and he's won the Queen Elizabeth the Second Cup at Shartin in April the last two years as well. So that would be a, a history making bid to make it three in that race and then to Japan. I hope this journey carries on, Danny. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Well, as I said at the beginning of the show, and as you know by now, I will be off to Ascot Racecourse today. 
to um, participate in the judging of the Thoroughbred Industry Employee Awards and then really enjoy uh, the dinner this evening when the very deserving recipients, and I know they all are because I've seen details of all the finalists, uh, will be given their given their prizes in the company of Her Royal Highness the Princess Royal. Hattie Rochester has been putting this all together um, with the British Horse Racing Authority and joins me now. Is is this your, your biggest day of the year, Hattie? Um, it is, Nick, yes, morning. Um, it's just one of those evenings and, and days, actually, whereby you just it's the, the feel-good moment of the year and just really looking forward to celebrating the people that really make the sport tick. And obviously, after after COVID, the, the awards had to be, be done remotely. Last year, we went back to, to York to um, sort of get the, the live event, live experience back. And I, I, I realised how much I'd missed it. Yeah, no, last year was fantastic to have it back at the live event. And this year again at Ascot, we're celebrating 20 years of the awards. And to have it at Ascot this year is obviously very fitting. We've got Her Royal Highness, the Princess Royal, joining us this evening to to help mark that occasion. Um, And what a fitting venue to be doing that in. And in terms of just making sure that these awards... Um, keep their place where they need to be kept what more do we do we have to do do you think this year we've seen a fantastic set of nominations we've had a sort of a, a, a bumpy year in terms of nominations but the nomination period is really important and I, I think that's sort of what we're doing we're sort of constantly working behind the scenes there's a whole award cycle as you'll know that starts in the autumn and then up to the delivery point of tonight but the nomination period is is, is really important to sort of get those nominations in for people who really deserve that recognition that are working day in day out whether that's with with horses whether that's in the community um just to really support the awards last year was one of the most memorable acceptance speeches i've ever heard from uh, from sarah guest I'm, I'm i'm hoping this year's winner in the presence of royalty maybe doesn't open with the same with with the same turn of phrase uh, yes, it was the most it was the most unique acceptance speech. Um, yeah, we'll be perhaps briefing the um, the finalists today before before that moment. <laughs> but uh, all, all joking aside, a big coup to to um, get the Princess Royal to come and, and present the awards. Somebody who's been a you know massive supporter of equestrian sport and, and horse racing for an awful long time, and will will completely understand the dedication required to day in day out work with work with animals and work with horses absolutely yeah it's it's so fitting she will absolutely get it having you know ridden herself to an extreme well to an olympic standard um as well as as well as in numerous i think she's ridden in over 50 horse races so she is a seriously accomplished horsewoman and and i'm i really i'm excited for the finalists because they are going to get to meet her and i think she will really enjoy meeting those people who are you know are working with horses and are, are real horse people because we have got some phenomenal horse people amongst the finalists tonight uh, how do you look forward to seeing you later thank you see you soon all right thank you to all my guests this promises to be a very very important day um news of which will come to you of course on tomorrow's podcast but for now lee is going to give you um, a tip yes nick i i suspect that you face uh, an even harder job finding winners than I will today with the quality 
of the finalists in the awards. I am going to go to Plumpton for hopefully an easier job. The 320, it's an amateur rider's handicap chase, long distance race. Sublime Heights won the race uh, last season for the Toby Law Stable, is back in the same contest again this year after an encouraging run on his most recent outing. And I'm therefore tipping Sublime Heights to win the 320 at Plumpton. Lovely stuff. Lee, thanks so much. Uh, congratulations on a, a a great scoop and hopefully it'll want, will will be one that will have uh, a significant impact over the next few days. Um, and I'm rather hoping that it enters this debate today as well. Uh, Monday, the 26th of February. We'll be back again tomorrow. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you by Timeform, the trusted source of racing data and analysis. By the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the racing app in partnership with Fitstairs. <laughs>